3: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Friday, May 21st. I'm Desiree Frazier, and for Karen Brown, this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, two of the state's congressional house delegation vote to approve a special commission to investigate the violent insurrection of January 6th. We hear why they support the effort as it heads to the Senate. Then a COVID-19 outbreak at an Adams County Detention Center is under scrutiny by the SPLC. Plus, we examine a new seminary program underway at Mississippi prisons. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Legislation to form an independent commission to investigate the events of January 6th is headed to the U.S. Senate with bipartisan support from the Magnolia State. Negotiations led by Homeland Security Chair Benny Thompson and Ranking Member John Katko yielded a solution that received the full backing of Democrats as well as 35 Republican votes. Earlier this week, Chairman Thompson discussed the creation of the commission bill during a press conference. We
4: have a document now uh, that we can live with. Uh, We'll vote on it this afternoon. Uh, I look forward to its passage But clearly it says that Democrats and Republicans uh, can do good work together on items of importance. This Capitol is our citadel of democracy. If the public is unsafe here, then God forbid who we are as a nation. If our employees are unsafe in the capital. God forbid us uh, as a nation. And so it's important not only that uh, we put present this commission uh, to work, but we let them work. And part of how we let them work is we've said no member of Congress can serve on it. We've said no federal employees. We talked about specific uh, subject matter skills that those individuals who serve on it should have and so we, we where we are today, it's unfortunate unpo- that the minority leader has uh, at the last moment raised issues that uh, basically we had gone uh, past and there was no issue on his part so uh, but I guess that's Politics. And so uh, we feel good about the product. We feel good about the process that got us to the product uh, where we are today. And we look forward, uh, as I indicated this afternoon, to its passage.
3: One of the 35 Republicans breaking rank was Mississippi's Michael Guest. Guest is in his second term in the House. He served as a district attorney prior to his election in 2018. He tells on Michael Guidry why he decided to support the commission.
2: I've had multiple conversations uh, throughout these discussions uh, with Ranking Member Katko uh, about uh, the makeup of the committee. Uh, This is something that, uh, as members of Congress, we've been talking about back and forth since January uh, the 6th and the events on that day. And and I think the goal, at least, was always to try to emulate a committee uh, that was similar to the 9-11 commission uh, that was formed uh, after the events Uh, of that day. And and I think that that we were able to, after much negotiations, uh, we were able to uh, accomplish that. The committee is evenly uh, divided, five Democrats, uh, five Republicans, no subpoenas can be issued uh, uh, without a majority of the members voting for those subpoenas. And also staff cannot be hired uh, by the majority without consulting the minority. And so I think many of the uh, um, checks and balances that that we as Republicans wanted to see uh, was actually uh, placed uh, in the bill in the makeup uh, of this committee. And and I believe that this committee is as bipartisan or as nonpartisan of a committee uh, that that, that we would ever see in Washington, D.C., I don't begrudge any of my fellow Republicans for not supporting the bill. There were valid reasons not to support the legislation. But as a former prosecutor, I believe it's important to, as much as possible, to get to the heart of what happened uh, on January 6th and then to have this commission make recommendations to us as a Congress uh, so so that we can make sure that, that those events don't happen again at some later date uh, and and that we can continue uh, to, to shed light on, on what happened that day.
0: You brought up your experience as a prosecutor, as a district attorney. How much did that experience inform the negotiations since you do have Uh, an extensive experience working closely with law enforcement.
2: Well, you know, I I was not directly involved in the negotiations. Uh, uh, John Katko, the ranking member, uh, was uh, uh, the the lead negotiator, but uh, throughout the negotiations, uh, I was at times uh, given input on where uh, the the state of the negotiations were. Uh, But 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 uh, the the other thing is, you know, uh, ranking member Katko, who was the lead negotiator for the Republicans, was also a prosecutor, so he was a federal prosecutor. I think he and I had similar mindsets on uh, investigations and and being involved in those. And and again, you know, uh, I wanted to make sure that whatever committee was established, uh, that the committee was evenly divided. And and again, I believe that this bill accomplished that uh, task. Uh, I believe the fact that uh, it was, um, you know, we took the 9-11 commission legislation and we were able to use that as a framework. And so this is not something new for Congress to appoint special committees uh, to look at certain matters. Uh, And and it was uh, at the end of the day, uh, a bill that I felt was fair uh, and that I felt compelled to support.
0: You said the end result of these negotiations is a Is a commission, a committee modeled in the same way as the 9-11 Commission. These negotiations were done in good faith. With that being said, it's passed the House. What are your hopes for it as your colleagues in the other chamber take it up?
2: you know I, I i hope that they will just take a, a a good faith look at the legislation uh and uh you know if the senate feels like that there needs to be uh changes made you know the the senate could definitely uh, amend that legislation uh send it back for, to the house uh, for uh, you know uh further consideration and so uh, i i just hope that folks across the senate uh will look at the legislation as i did try to go in open minded uh and then uh, at the end of the day uh, I hope that they will see that, like I did, that this legislation, again, while not perfect, was as nonpartisan or bipartisan uh, a piece of legislation as we will be able to get passed in Washington, D.C. Well,
0: Congressman Michael Guess, representative for Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District, and a yes vote on the January 6th commission. Thank you so much for your time today, sir.
2: Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you talking to us and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon.
3: Chairman Benny Thompson is applaud, applauding his Mississippi colleague and the other 34 Republicans who supported the commission bill, calling their vote principled. In an interview with CNN, Thompson also praised ranking member Katko for his good faith efforts.
4: They took a principled vote. Uh, the people who voted uh, on the Republican side, they were there. Uh, they saw what went on, and, and you can't, in reality... Whitewashed the events it was an insurrection it was a riot or whatever you want to call it uh but it was not the orderly operation of the united states capitol and so for those individuals who voted to get to the facts uh we met republicans uh at every point to try to make this situation bipartisan uh as you already spoke to uh Leader McCarthy, uh, we, word for word, uh, accepted what he wanted because we just want to get to the facts. Uh, the public deserves the fact. Congress deserves the fact. And again, we have to protect the United States Capitol, the citadel of democracy in this country. And to see the the actions of January 6th, it, it, it's heartbreaking. And so we have to get to it. I thank my ranking member, uh, John Katko, yep. uh, for being an honorable person in this process. Uh, he took a lot of heat, but he said, I support it because it's the right thing to do. So, I've spent 20 years yeah. prosecuting criminals and said this uh, act that occurred on January 6th need a full and thorough review.
3: The bill heads to the Senate, where it will need the support of 10 Republicans to clear the filibuster for a floor debate and vote. Coming up, a COVID-19 outbreak at an Adams County Detention Center is under scrutiny by SPLC. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A COVID-19 outbreak at Adams County Detention Center in Natchez has infected hundreds of migrants detained there. A complaint jointly filed by 15 immigrant rights groups, including the Southern Poverty Law Center, alleges that Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, is responsible for disease spread at the facility. Viti Bomzai, an attorney with SPLC, shares more. So
5: what- seeing right now at um, Adams County is pretty harrowing and pretty stunning. Um, We're seeing some of the highest and I actually believe the highest numbers of COVID positivity in detention centers across the country, which is really concerning as we're also aware that folks who are uh, crossing the border and uh, coming into ice custody are actually tested for COVID when they cross the border and they're not allowed to enter and get into ICE custody unless they test negative or have quarantined for the seven to 14 days. So it's very concerning to us that folks are entering the, uh, entering the United States, entering uh, custom border patrol custody and then being turned over to ICE. And something is happening where folks are becoming exposed to the virus and getting infected. And Adams is, particularly unique in this sense because Adams is a short-term facility. So most of the people who are in Adams are being transferred in and out of Adams in relatively short time frames. So folks are not staying there for long. And as they're being moved, folks who have the virus, whether they're asymptomatic or not, um, are you know moving the virus along with them. And, you know, the transfers are also not necessary. Um, Actually, uh, ICE's own pandemic response requirements require it to limit transfers unless they're absolutely necessary. But we've just been seeing um, a pretty huge increase in transfers in and
3: out of Adams. Do you have the most recent case count?
5: On May 15th, ICE reported 386 COVID positive cases.
3: When you talk about transferring people in and out of the facility, what are they being transferred from and where are they being transferred to?
5: Folks who enter from the border go through Customs Border Protection and then are turned over to ICE. Their first engagement with ICE uh, might be at Adams. If it's determined that they have to stay in ICE custody, um, they will likely be transferred out of Adams into a long-term facility. And that could be, it truly could be anywhere in the country, to any ICE detention center in the country. Um, But oftentimes folks are um, transferred to long-term facilities in the Deep South.
3: And there was a complaint made. Can you speak to that a little bit?
5: Sure. Um, So the Southern Poverty Law Center, where I work, um, joined a coalition of community organizations, community leaders, um, and advocacy organizations to submit a CRCL complaint to the um, Department of Homeland Security.
3: And what is CRCL?
5: Uh, it's the Office of Civil Rights and Civil Civil Liberties. So it's a civil rights and civil liberties complaint. Okay, thank you. Um, and so this this complaint was sent to um, a CR, CRCL officer and the D, DHS Inspector General to identify the emerging public health catastrophe at Adams County Detention Center, um, violating the CDC and ICE's um, COVID-19 policies. You know, one of the things that is flagged in the first paragraph is that on March 12th of 2021, ICE reported four active COVID-19 cases at Adams, and on May 15th, 2021, ICE reported 386 cases. So the numbers of positive covid incidences has skyrocketed over the course of uh, about two months, and we are really, really concerned about that. Um, And that has to do with the fact that folks are being transferred in and out of Adams, which is in direct violation of ICE's policy to limit transfers at this time.
3: Vitti Bomzai, a staff attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. in December to nearly 1,100 now, and that medical staff is working to reduce further spread of COVID-19. Coming up, we examine a new seminary program underway at Mississippi prisons. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. This week, the Mississippi Department of Corrections launched a new 14-week seminary program at two correctional facilities. Commissioner Burl Kane has put religion at the center of his rehabilitation philosophy, and the new program has a central Christian focus. In Louisiana, he created similar seminary programs, allowing incarcerated people to travel to other prisons and teach classes there. Christian author Ruth Graham, the daughter of evangelist Billy Graham, will lead the new effort Mississippi, Graham tells MPB's Becca Schimmel, the program gives inmates a purpose.
1: Having a seminary in the prisons where the men can study and get a degree and then be sent out as missionaries to other prisons not only gives the men a purpose, but gives them a goal and instructs them in the truth. These men have been able to. Redeem their lives through the study of God's word. You know how are
5: you? How is this program going to work? What are some of the central tenets of it, and things you really want to get across um, while teaching it?
1: Well, I'm teaching a, a a course of really a discussion class on forgiveness, and it is based on a book I wrote called "Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself: An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness," and all of us. Talk about forgiveness, and we've heard it defined as a, a letting go, um, a way to get healthy, spirit, uh, psychologically, emotionally. It's a way to get uh, to, it's a gift you give yourself. But I believe that forgiveness is so much more than that. I believe that forgiveness is holy. I believe it is sacred. It's an invitation to enter into the very character of God. God is all about forgiveness. And um, I'm teaching this to these men and the big question, and and women, because I taught women last fall in West Virginia. The big question for them is to forgive themselves. You know, how do we forgive ourselves? And that everybody's interested in that. Forgiveness is a decision. We make the decision to forgive so-and-so. Now you make the decision, but Immediately, you're going to maybe feel emotions. Your anger comes back. Your, Your resentment comes back. You want to take revenge. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. That means you have to walk out that decision of forgiveness. And you can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it takes time. It is a process. And that's what most people don't understand is that forgiveness is a process. It's not a one and done kind of thing you have to you make the decision that's done but then you have to live it out and that again that's only through the power of the holy spirit and renewing your mind with the scripture the the holy word of god because that's the absolute and he tells us to take every thought captive to him and that's what we need to do what are your goals for the people who are incarcerated and choose to participate in your program i want them to realize that they Not only have they been forgiven and that they can forgive those that they have wounded or that have wounded them, but also that their life has purpose, that they are not just warehoused, that they can do something with their lives now. It's Again, it's not reformation, it's transformation, and it only comes through Jesus Christ.
3: But the heavy focus on Christianity is drawing criticism from civil liberties and advocates, or rather civil liberties and advocates. Alicia Netterville is the deputy director and policy counsel with the ACLU of Mississippi. She says forced or coerced religion has perpetuated a power imbalance for centuries, especially for people of color.
6: History has shown that forced religion, in particular Christianity was was used to carry out the inhumane practice of child slavery. Um, and it, at a glance, also, when you're looking at our crim, criminal legal system, the similarities between child slavery and our criminal system today is undeniable. But I also believe that incarcerated persons should have access to resources and programs to help them fully exercise the religion of their choice. And choice is a loaded word in this case because we do know that incarcerated people are in systems where the power structure is definitely imbalanced. And it could could be easy for somebody to take advantage of someone and totally eviscerate any choice that they have. So in, in this context, choice means nothing more than the ability to practice the religion, even the denomination of your choice, or to practice no religion at all. I did read that so you know, having said that, I would hope that Warden Kane will open the doors of the prison to our religions and denominations who want to come and invite incarcerated people to practice their religions as they see fit.
5: And I mean, Commissioner Kane has been criticized in his time working in Louisiana for his use of Christianity within the prison system and whether he allows enough space or accommodations for the practicing of all religions, like you kind of mentioned earlier. And when I saw this with the seminary program, I, it brought up the concern of whether it could negativ- negatively affect inmates who are practicing religions other than Christianity.
6: Yes, that's that's a that's a major concern. Um, if if people are not volunteering to practice Christianity and the commissioner uses any forms of punishment because people are, do not choose to be Christians, that's definitely a, a problem, not just for incarcerated persons, but that would also be a problem for the Department of Corrections and the commissioner himself. If the commissioner is going to provide any resources or outlets for religious practices, he he should do that for everyone. And as I said earlier, the Constitution does provide safeguards for individuals who want to practice their religions in prisons under certain circumstances, and it is not narrowed to just Christianity.
5: Mm-hmm. So I know that in the past, some of the students who went to seminary schools were able to, like I said, travel to different facilities, and therefore were a lot of those opportunities. I guess, how do you watch out for that, or, or how do you provide equal opportunities within the prison system when that's the case?
6: So what the commissioner would have to do is to make sure that if he is providing that for Christians, that he would need to provide that for, for everyone. Um, and, and I do know that in Louisiana, there, there were lawsuits filed um, by incarcerated persons that were not provided the same ability to practice their religions.
3: Alicia Netterville of the Mississippi ACLU with our Becca Schimmel.